This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. Today is Wednesday, July 22nd. Senate Republicans continued their struggle to come to terms on another virus relief bill. With key programs, including enhanced unemployment benefits of $600 a week, set to expire at month's end. The bill, one of the few remaining expected to move through Congress this year, is the target of lobbyists seeking provisions to help their clients. We'll have a report from CQ Roll Call lobbying reporter Kate Ackley in a minute on how the pandemic has driven the influence business. Still, out of concern that they will not be able to reach agreement amongst themselves, as well as with congressional Democrats, Republicans are considering a short-term extension of those $600 a week unemployment benefits. That could forestall widespread hunger and evictions. But it also might mean putting off new funding for schools, on which both parties agree, and liability protections for reopening businesses, schools, and healthcare providers. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said liability protections must be in the next relief bill. We have a report from CQ Roll Call's legal affairs reporter, Todd Ruger, on the lawsuits that have already been filed and McConnell's plan. Congress right now is talking about what to put in the next coronavirus relief bill to help the economy recover. One of the most divisive proposals is whether to make it much harder for an employee or customer to sue a business over COVID-19-related issues. On one side is Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Republican lawmakers who are insisting on such a provision. They say that companies, schools, and other groups, which are already financially struggling, won't want to reopen if they will face a wave of legal fights that are costly and distracting and sometimes have no merit. On the other side are Democratic lawmakers and consumer and employee advocates. They say that such lawsuits are a powerful tool to make sure businesses help keep workers and the public safe, and that safety is a key to reopening the economy. The debate raises a question. What sort of lawsuits are happening now, four months into a pandemic, and what is at stake in those lawsuits? At fast food giant McDonald's, employees in California and Chicago filed lawsuits that claim two of the franchises weren't doing enough to keep them safe as essential workers. One plaintiff from the Oakland location that had several employees come down with the virus called it, quote, risking our lives to sell the company's burgers and fries. At retail giant Amazon, a California woman who fills grocery orders says she filed the lawsuit only after her complaints internally and with state regulators did not prompt a change in workplace conditions. One problem she highlighted was that the company did not frequently enough clean freezer suits. Those include a mouth cover and are reused by up to 10 different employees a day. Walmart, the nation's largest employer, faces a wrongful death lawsuit related to a worker who died from the virus in Illinois. What happens in those lawsuits could affect thousands of workers not only at those companies, but at other companies. There have been nearly 4 million infections and 140,000 deaths from coronavirus in America. But since January, there have been just 251 consumer lawsuits 
and 325 labor and employment lawsuits related to the disease. That's according to a database maintained by Hunt and Andrews Kurth Law Firm. Democrats and worker advocacy groups point to those tracking numbers as proof that there isn't a huge wave of litigation ahead. But economists and lawyers who speak to businesses say there is concern about the risk of lawsuits even when the company is trying to comply with all of the local, state, and federal health guidelines. For example, the owner of that McDonald's franchise in Oakland told the media that the store was in full compliance with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines and state-level orders. He said he provided employees with paid sick leave and nearly $20,000 worth of grocery gift cards to help. Another concern for businesses is causation. When there's a highly contagious virus and someone goes to 10 different places in a day, it might be hard to prove or disprove exactly what happened for that person to get the virus. Republicans haven't yet released the text of the liability protection proposal, but a draft summary of the provisions obtained by CQ Roll Call appears to put almost insurmountable hurdles to bringing a lawsuit. It would remove all personal injury lawsuits related to coronavirus exposure to the federal courts, which are often considered friendlier to defendants such as businesses. And it would impose new procedural rules, such as higher standards for how detailed a lawsuit must be when filed and how convincing the proof must be. It would also put a cap on any potential damages. Businesses would only be liable if they did not make reasonable efforts to follow public health guidelines. They would also have to intentionally run things in a way that they could foresee would likely cause sickness. All of those changes would last through at least 2024. And here's Kate Ackley on how the coronavirus has shaped the work of lobbyists working from the influence industry's headquarters on K Street in Washington. I've covered lobbying for years. And of course, we haven't seen anything uh, in the lobbying world like what we've seen the past few months. Um, Just as the coronavirus pandemic has upended every part of everyone's life, basically, all the businesses, the, the economy, it has disrupted K Street. And we've seen a huge flurry of activity, the entire sort of legislative and therefore lobbying agenda of the biggest groups from you know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to healthcare associations, doctor groups, but also tech companies, all the, the organizations and companies that spend the most on lobbying have all been uh, you know, disrupted and their lobbying agenda has been completely upended uh, because of the pandemic. So they've switched, you know, instead of lobbying on all the other issues that were on the agenda before the pandemic, it's been COVID-19 pretty much, you know, all, all the time. You know, you have seen companies that have lobbied for um, the Paycheck Protection Program loans, and those are usually for smaller companies, but you've seen big associations that have lobbied for that because they represent smaller companies. But that sort of whirlwind of activity in terms of of lobbying on K Street, I was sort of surprised. We looked through, we crunched the numbers of the second quarter of, uh, you know, how much money the biggest clients on K Street reported spending. And it was down in the second quarters. So obviously, right at at the heart of the coronavirus pandemic, we saw the Chamber of Commerce, which is the top spender on lobbying, it 
went down. It spent less money in the second quarter than it spent in the first quarter. Of the top 10 biggest spenders on lobbying, only one did not spend less money in the second quarter than it had spent in the first quarter, and that was Amazon. Even you know Facebook, Comcast, the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, the pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, the, the pharma, the pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America, which is the big um, drug industry lobby, and the National Association of Realtors all reported spending less money on lobbying, federal lobbying, in the second quarter than they had spent in the first quarter. So that indicates basically that this is kind of turbulent times for K Street because on the flip side of that, some of the biggest lobbying firms in town actually posted record amounts of, of income from all their clients. So there were a number of new clients. There were new companies trying to get into the lobbying scene, trying to find a way to get uh, some sort of COVID-19 relief. Um, so we did see some, some new clients pop up. I talked to uh, a man named Rich Gold. He runs the lobbying shop at Holland and Knight, which is one of the biggest, one of the top five firms in Washington in terms of lobbying revenue. And they'd had over 50 new clients since mid-March when the pandemic essentially began here in the U.S. That indicates, you know, that there is a, that there is an appetite for hiring lobbyists and for pressing the agenda through lobbying firms. But I think we'll kind of be watching that, you know, this is, that this is a turbulent business environment for lobbying firms and also for, you know, every other industry um, in America. Finally tonight, Major League Baseball is coming back. Niels Lesniewski has a report on what is going into getting players back on the field. Major League Baseball's opening day is set for Thursday with the first game scheduled to take place right here in Washington, D.C., with the Nationals taking on the New York Yankees. Ahead of that, Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania, brought together a number of league officials, a representative from the Players Union, as well as the first baseman of the Philadelphia Phillies, to talk about the upcoming season and the preparations that have had to take place because of COVID-19. One of the most notable parts of the discussion was about what to do with the Toronto Blue Jays. The reality is if we need the Blue Jays to be able to play in order, in order for all of us to play. It's, it's a league full of 30 teams, and we need 30 teams to be able to start the season. Uh, so now, right now, we have an issue that we have a problem that we need to solve, and that is helping the Blue Jays find a place to play. The Canadian government has quarantine requirements for Uh, people entering the country who have been exposed to the coronavirus. And since, of course, Toronto is the only team that plays in Canada, all of their visiting teams are coming from the United States. Sherrington, who used to be involved with the Boston Red Sox organization, said that there were still conversations underway uh, with Pittsburgh officials and Major League Baseball and the Blue Jays as a possible alternate site. There has also been reporting that there are discussions underway with the Baltimore Orioles about maybe moving Toronto to Camden Yards. The other discussion that took place 
was largely about health and safety of players and their families. We definitely have enhanced protocols to identify players that are, are more at risk. Uh, and that includes increased testing, uh, safe distancing in, in the locker rooms and elsewhere, and also uh, you know, enhanced protocols for, for their families. Uh, so we want to identify not only players who have those existing uh, conditions, but players who have family members who are at home, who are older, uh, who have existing uh, conditions. And we want to make sure, and we have made sure, that we implemented those kind of protocols. We've definitely considered those, those situations. Major League Baseball has developed a, a testing capacity at a facility in Utah. And there are regular tests, although... Uh, baseball isn't going to quite have the bubble that we're seeing in, for instance, the NBA, where the uh, NBA teams are largely all playing in Orlando. The baseball facilities will be across the country, and basically they're trying to figure out what will happen if, God forbid, there's enough of a spike or enough of an outbreak uh, that they might have to move another team. The officials from the commissioner's office are preparing for all sorts of contingencies in the event that the season has to either be truncated or a team needs to be relocated other than just the Blue Jays. That's it for July 22nd. Stay with us for all the latest policy news on the pandemic. For the entire CQ Roll Call News team, I'm Sean Zeller.